Welcome to the Cyber Nation Uncensored Podcast. We welcome all Chumbas, Edge Runners, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, Spice Traders, and Space Folders. Thanks for joining us. Please give us a great review and also be sure to join us on both YouTube and Twitch. We'd love to see you on a live stream. Thanks again. See you soon. Chumbas, uh, you got Cybersmart. Greetings, here. programs. Sorry. No worries. You can introduce yourself now. <laughs> ah, greetings, program. This is wisdom. I'm here again. Right. So, uh, start the thing off. Um, so, for my site, uh, I did push out some bug fixes and some enhancements into the combat tracker as well as the character generator for uh, Cyberpunk 2020 on my site. Um, I basically separated out in the combat tracker initiative versus selecting a opponent. Um, so the, now you should be able to visually see whose initiative it currently is uh, while you're clicking around choosing the different opponents there. Um, and there were some other uh, enhancements I did around uh, skills on the character generator. Um, small quality of life changes, as it were. Um, so you're able to now do some quick search of skills to help uh, alleviate the uh, looking through a full list of uh, all the character or the Cyberpunk 2020 skills because. I know for me, I was like, all right, there's a better way to do this. And that was to add in a little search yeah. bar for it. So that's about it for uh, my site. I mean, there's a few other places that got enhanced, but too many to talk about. I've been uh, chipping away at the espionage article. I have one word for everybody. Ninjas. Ninjas. Yeah, I've been on a weird ninja kick, and that's that, that stuff is. I don't know if uh, I'm going to do a separate source book for ninjas and whatnot, but uh, yeah, I've been watching like all the old '80s movies with like Shoko Sugi and like reading like heavy ninja '80s comics, like the Wolverine miniseries, nice. uh, like the GI Joe Silent Interlude issue and and whatnot, just. Mm. It's a weird nostalgia kick. Yeah, some Daredevil with hand and all that grooviness. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's the kick I've been on lately, and it's started to bleed into the espionage source book. So. Cool. Um, from a media standpoint with Cyberpunk, the only thing I really 
I thought was going to be a little bit cyberpunky was uh, a movie on HBO Max, which was called Kimmy. So I kind of started watching that. And I got it's... mixed feelings about Kimmy. Oh, you've seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, but, man, it kind of stretches my suspension of disbelief at times. Yeah, I mean... The first hour for me was like, okay, this is a movie about uh, how bad <laughs> agoraphobians uh, have uh, with dental hygiene. Oh. <laughs> you just had to remind me of the, of the teeth, man. Why would you do that to me? Mm. <laughs> Let's, that, well, uh, again, that was like good. the first half of the movie for me was like, where where is this going? I see them setting it up, but they could get there a lot quicker um, in less time. I've been watching the the Jack Reacher show. Yeah, I saw that. And everybody complained about the Tom Cruise movies because he doesn't look anything like Jack Reacher as described in the books. Like, man, this guy looks pretty much exactly like Jack Reacher is described in the books. Giant, blonde, and fucking tall and humongous. But man, I was watching... I'm getting close to the end, and I was watching an episode last night where he is repeatedly hit by a dude full swinging a crowbar at him, including he gets hit in the face with it, and he's just... Okay. Like, I, I was buying that he was a super badass and all that. But, yeah, I'm not buying that a human being gets hit in the face with a crowbar and is just a-okay. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. It's definitely... But you're right, you know, you have to... Uh, there's certain uh, suspensions of disbelief that you have to have with... Uh, Yeah, it was really weird because up until that point, the show had really been fairly grounded in reality. Um, I mean, it obviously subscribes to the to the John Wayne school of thought, where the hero can never really like nothing really phases him um, to the nth degree. Like the guy is sociopath; he doesn't ever show emotion about anything. Um, which is, I guess, the, the, I, the macho bullshit ideal, I guess. Uh, I mean, I have, it, it hasn't poked its head up much since the, since the nineties really, but yeah, it's an otherwise enjoyable show. Um, yeah, well with me, it was like, this guy's on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's definitely on the spectrum. Like. It's uh, not all the circuits are connecting with that dude. Right. Yeah. The but other... I, I mean, it's been highly theorized that like, uh, like mountain men and stuff like that were all on this were like a, a lot of them were on the spectrum because it takes that kind of personality to live alone and thrive. Right. So, I also caught it works. Uh, the first three episodes of an anime on Netflix called uh, Levias. Um, 
don't know exactly. I thought it was what, Levis, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I got probably tuned wrong. into it because you know the the cover art basically had a a person with two uh, cyber arms. So I'm like, okay, let's check this out. And they definitely have a blend of genres, as it were. It yeah, anime like started to do that a lot lately. Turn of the century, like turn of nineteenth century, um, with I don't know if it's steampunky or if it's um, I don't know what what they're going for with the cybernetics there. Uh, but they're driving like Model Ts and and crazy crap like that. Um, so yeah, I, and it's very, it's one of those animes that likes to have a lot of dramatic pauses. <laughs> and uh, you know, I watched a steampunk anime recently uh, on Netflix as well. Um, Arcane, that League of Legends game, mm-hmm. that. That anime is fucking next level. Like, it is on top. Uh, I don't generally... I'm not a fan of steampunk, and I'm really... I'm I'm not much of a fan of fantasy these days. But Arcane is is amazing. I highly recommend it. Or Arcanum? I don't know. Something. I don't have Netflix open in front of me, but it's good stuff. Yeah, so um, other news in the cyberpunk world, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 just pushed out a humongous update to the game. Oh, it's so big. Um, And it's it's more, it's, don't, don't be fooled. It's humongous, and there's a lot of great stuff in it. It's not... It's not a content DLC, although there is new content in it. Um, it's mostly quality of life, but then they add this these little things that make the game so much better. Um, buy apartments now. Apparently, the 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 love interests uh, they're they've been expanded. Oh. Yeah. It's good. I, I very much am enjoying what I've seen so far. Yeah, the, the other thing is they put in those weird mechanics of like, okay, in the original game, you had a shower and you could sleep, but why would you do either, right? Um, yeah. So basically you turn into a character who's up 24-7, stinking to God knows how, how, how bad. Um, <laughs> so now if you shower, you get bonuses. If you sleep, you get bonuses. If you drink coffee or tea, you get bonuses. Um, so that kind of was interesting. And it looked like there was a lot of stuff that mods tried to, um, fix and implement, right? So better vehicle control. We'll see <laughs> how that works. Um, better AIs, uh, which, what? I'm rocking the PS5, and the graphics difference now is—it's awe-inspiring. It's—it's it's stunning. Yeah, um, I've seen um, a little bit on the PC. I mean, I don't—I don't know what the graphics actually look like on PC, but I'd say they—they they have to be about equal 
because uh, the PlayStation is definitely running at 4K, uh, and it's it's gorgeous. Everything loads correctly and on time. You've got two choices. You can go for uh, the full ray tracing that gives you like the photorealistic, like, oh my god, these graphics are amazing. Or you can tone it down to performance mode where, you know, you're not overloading your system. Yeah. Um, honestly, I can't tell the difference between the two. My eyesight's fucked, though, so... Yeah, and um, some other little tweaks that I haven't encountered yet, and granted I've only played a little bit, um, is that, and it's kind of more realistic to the cyberpunk world, is if you start like firing in a crowd, the crowd will actually start firing back, some of them. Um, if you try to hijack a car, you might suddenly start dealing with the NPC in a in combat. Um, supposedly there's some drive-by shootings that can happen as well. Wow. But I have I have not, I have not that yet. encountered that yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, and kind of like the other things, the biggest thing that I think a lot of people are wanting was the ability to change your looks after the fact. Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a groovy new addition. Uh, any mirror you come across, you can you can change your looks. Yeah, so it seems like they tackled a lot of what uh, the modding community was doing, but I think they still have with the mods. There's still so many mods out there right now, and of course, the worst thing yeah, is console I mean, players don't get to enjoy that. Don't get me wrong. The game still has a lot of room for improvement. Um, it's it still doesn't feature all the things that you know they were kind of advertising it would until like late in the day when they're like, well, we can't do that, so we're just gonna pretend we never said anything. Yeah, but it's a very it's still a fantastic game. People hate on it. Most of the people who hate on it have never played it or haven't played it since like the first week. Um, most of the bugs, like anything that was game breaking, really is has been long fixed, and now it's just it, every every time they update it, it gets better and better. Um, it's it's still. I mean, it's the joy of running around Night City. I don't really care about anything else. I get to run around Night City. The, this, I get to see it firsthand. It's the world that I have spent the last 40 years or 30 years now um, running games in, thinking about constantly, writing about, building worlds, and now I get to play in it. I get to see it. And it just gets better and better. Testify, so, my friend. I, I got no hate at all for this game. Yeah, I don't have any hate, and granted, I haven't been um, a big computer gamer, um, <clears throat> so I don't know how other games are and what they were like. And you know, like recently, I just bought Witcher Three to <laughs> understand what where 
the evolution of cyberpunk came from and yeah well um i don't think it was sure. a, an improvement over witcher 3 but i definitely think cyberpunk is on its way to get to that quality with um or you actually better um well so, i mean i've 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 played a lot of console games yeah. and I've never played anything that was visually as gorgeous as cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, any other complaints aside, I've never played anything that looked as beautiful uh, that the graphics were so just over the top as this. Yeah. And like I said, in our four part review, um, it definitely brought starting storytelling to a whole nother level. Yeah. Um, however, we're not here to discuss Cyberpunk 2077. We're actually here to discuss uh, one book that I think both of us agree on is one of the major must-haves in your arsenal. For Top Cyberpunk, five, baby. Uh, 2020, even Red, I think you can port a lot of this stuff from this book. I mean, really, you could use it for any game where you have a guy who makes his living by dealing with other people. Yep. So, as you can see on the screen, but I'm going to tell you now, if you're actually listening and not watching, we're talking about Wildside, <laughs> the source book for fixers. Um, this was yeah. written by Benjamin Wright and Mike uh, Router. I want to say Router. Router? Router? That's how I would... Um, Butchering the name. But it might be Rotor. I yeah. don't know. Um, so these guys really brought Splat Books, uh, or what a Splat Book could be, um, to the front table. And I wish there was a lot more Splat Books like this one, um, because it gave a lot of juicy uh rules and expansions and, and background that you could use uh, that really applies to running a cyberpunk game. Which I think a lot of some of the other books out there are more passive type of history and how things are, at least at the ma ma macro level. Um, whereas the GM really wants to get into the nitty gritty. I mean, it's it, of all the like role specific books, um, protect and serve, uh, solo of fortune, uh, rocker boy. This wild side is is the one that does it the best, as far as I'm concerned. It, it gets deep into the mindset of the fixer. Uh, it, it, it removes that. Yeah, you know how I feel about abstract bullshit when it comes to like de describing what a character is supposed to be able to do. Yeah, it, it it removes that. It gives codified rules uh, for how to deal with a fixer's contacts, how to you know break down each of those contacts into an actual person and. It, it does it in a really genius way as far as I'm concerned. Yep. So let's start breaking into this. So the first part of the book is an introduction into what a fixer is. 
Um, and it kind of gives you a, um, trying to think of the word, the flavor from the point of view of someone that lives in this world of what a fixer is. At least the concept of what the fixer, what a player fixer would be. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely great background to read it. Uh, and then you get into chapter one, which basically breaks down street deal. Um, and what it, what street deal means versus street wise. Uh, yeah. Trying to explain the difference to that with players in, in the 2020 age was, yeah, it got frustrating. So chapter one is actually the bulk of, I think, this book. Um, so it starts getting into Street Deal, yeah. and what it does with Street Deal is <clears throat> it kind of breaks it down into three different systems, right? Which was the down and dirty, which is basically a quick, easy system to use to uh, get fixer specialties uh, a little bit of a bonus. So I might be a fixer who's into black market weaponry. So anything that pertains to that particular subject, I get a, a specific bonus, um, which is half the skill, right? To roll. Yeah. Um, just to kind of show you the, and I think they're getting into, you're going to have a background where you have contacts within or know people where you can get whatever you're looking for uh, as a fixer. And then the next is Hot Stuff, which is uh, just a, a more advanced. So you still have kind of contacts, but you basically buy points to be able to make multiple skill rolls, right? So if you fail on one skill roll you have the ability to re-roll it based on whatever subject matter it is. And there's a point value system. It's a little complicated, but um, you basically are able to purchase one to six rolls that you can use to specific specialties. And you would mark those on, on your sheet, right? Um and then you have the big league, which actually is a point system based off of your street deal in which you purchase uh, contacts, right? So the contact could be anything like chief of the police, uh, head of security of the, the mall, you know, whatever, whatever you can imagine you can make as a contact. And then each contact has a capability which determines how well that contact will actually succeed uh, in whatever task you provide it. Then you have the reputation. Um, you know, how exposed that particular contact is. The availability, which I kind of liked as a, as a contact thing. Because um, I know with my players, they always reach out to friends and other contacts from the life path. But it's nice to see, like, some rules around uh, how often or how available a character is based off your luck, which 
again, to me, I love this system because it makes luck important for a fixer, which turns that stat into a non-dot uh, dump stat. So you have a better rounded character. And then the reliability of that contact, which I also like, right? Whether he's going to rat you out or get you backstabbed versus he's always there and <clears throat> ready to... I, I like that in... Uh, unlike, say, Netrunner, where a Netrunner's the only person who can hack, blah, 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 with uh, rules as written with the with Wildside, it the fixer gets like a tremendously huge uh, list of contacts, but regular other characters who have street deal and have luck can have their own list of characters. They can have their own list of contacts that they can call on. And like you said, it's, it's just done so well. It adds so much to the game to be able to like have a list of people that you can rely on to some extent or another, at least rely on as much as anybody can rely on anybody in cyberpunk yeah and for me the the contact system in in, in wild side like you said can be applied to <clears throat> almost every other character class right because in yeah. life you know people whether they're your friends or not doesn't matter but you know people for the right price you know they'll do what what the what you want done and if you're you know, an edge runner, you're going to have no people that do bad things as well. So, um, having the contact, contact system, which is the, um, hot stuff, big league really could be applied to most of the other characters classes. So, um, again, great rules, a little mathy. So if your players don't like math, and don't like a little bit of bookkeeping, then the system is not going to work for you. So you want to go with the down well, and dirty and nice system to just give you a bonus on specialties. Yeah, I mean it's 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 math heavy, but it's only math heavy once when you generate the list. After that, you just have contacts, and it'll tell you'll you'll know how trustworthy that contact is and how well they can do whatever service they perform that you have them as a contact for in the first place. So it's, it's like, it's like anything else with character generation. Once you've done it, you don't really have to worry about it again. Yeah. Until you go up a skill level. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But you know, that's true for other systems like D and D there was a bunch of bookkeeping every time you went up a level. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, that's that's the whole that's the downside to character advancement in any system that I've ever played is hey, you know, well, you got to go write some shit down and figure do a little bit of basic math. Yep. Unless you're playing something like Cinnabar, in that case you got to break out the the calculus tables and the abacus and like what the hell am I doing? Yep. So the contact system to me I think is one of the biggest ones that I know my players like and using when they are doing fixers. Um, moving along, it again, the one thing I got to say was, even though this is a great book, it's not well organized. 
Um, no, sadly, it's not. And uh, like the, I don't know what kind of what font they used, but it kind of hurts to read. It, that's that's the other major downside is the fonts they use are not conducive to comfort. Right. So in between and, the contact system and then the specialized fixers, which is basically subroles of the fixer, um, there is some interesting or, or pretty good stuff uh, in between there. So it kind of goes into which system you should use for your contacts. Uh, and then it talks about what's important to a fixer, right? Information, resources. And then it gets into a discussion of streetwise versus a street deal. Gets into the concept of Geary, which I know third edition um, was their economy system was all about. Um, yeah. However, understanding what Geary is and that it's the economy of the fixer is not just cash. It's also yeah, it's goods, it's favors, services and favors. Yeah. So this section, this little, I guess, blurb in between, kind of two two great sections is just getting into um, all of that kind of economics and and other things that really as a GM, you should be thinking about when it comes to fixers. Uh, the other thing that they kind of squirrel into that section on uh, page 17 is <clears throat> when you're doing any type of deal making or bartering, you know, what is the advantage versus streetwise versus uh, street deal when you're negotiating a price, right? So, Page 17, I'm not going to get fully into the rules because um, I want to uh, give credit to... There's a lot there. And there's a lot there, right? So it gives you how much you can expect to make uh, in the deal if you have a successful role, right? So the more success you have, it's always advantage to the person who who succeeds. Um, And it gives you kind of those rules on how to do it they they re, re-mention these rules later in the book as well but um yeah in better detail too and that's that's kind of the one thing that uh, another thing that i thought really this book and organization should have done is to take all those actual game rules and make an appendance in the book yeah um that's that would have been ideal, but I mean, the RTG books have always been bad about like not having appendixes, not having uh... glossary. The word escapes me. Glossary. Thank you, Jesus. I was, and I was having a stroke well. there. Um, well, indexes they have in Chrome, but not for things like the Splat books. Yeah, like the things where they've got these little bitty rules mentioned, like in the middle of a blurb of text, they'll just talk about this little bitty rule and trying to find that in the middle of a game is uh, just headache inducing. It's, uh, I'm going to 
promote Interlock Unlimited, but that's one of the things uh, I was most most pleased with about Interlock Unlimited is I was able to take all these little rules and put them all in one place in a coherent uh, in a coherent mess. Yeah. Yeah, there was another PDF that's out there. Is it called the data book? Are you talking about the the reference book by Andrew James? Yes. Like man, that was the very all the rules first. Puts them all in the PDF. I had a way back in like ninety ninety five. I had a friend who maybe ninety six. I don't know, but it was the very first before I even had internet. Before I'd ever like looked at the internet, a friend of mine had it. He printed that off to it for me and handed it to me. Basically, I think at the time it was just the cyberware list. Yeah. But yeah, Andrew James is his work was one of the major influences of Data Fortress, and one of the major reasons um, I wrote Interlock Unlimited. Like it, it let me know to find where to find all these obscure rules. Yeah. Uh, I hell I love that book so much I I illustrated it. Um turned it into uh Ultra Chrome. Now I just illustrated the gear, not the rules, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, I still gotta get you uh get that site going for you that we talked about with all the search yeah. capabilities. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Um, so that might be an improvement for, uh, data fortress brought to you by make it searchable. Yeah. So this was years ago when I first got into web development, I was like, Hey, I would love to collab with you. And, um, I don't know why we just stopped, stopped that whole collab, but. Uh, uh, it's not that I didn't want to continue with it. It's that my health problems yeah. got to a point where I didn't touch a computer for like a year. Right. And I still, I mean, they still present major problems with me getting online. It's, it's hard to find comfort. The robbery just now just that uh, is not going to help things. Right. Uh, or it maybe, maybe it will, maybe it'll like motivate me to get off my ass. Um, but yeah, no, I, I still want to collaborate on all that stuff. Yep. Uh, I still have the web design is obviously not my strong point. I still got, uh, a lot of that stuff still saved on my machine. So yeah, well, hell, I've got a lot of the stuff that you sent me, the prototype stuff. I've I've got that on my machine. Yeah. Well, well, again, (laughs) offline, we'll offline. So sorry. Audience, you get to hear the, the the inner workings of two old men talking about. Yeah, if, if you've been listening this far, you know we're just going to rant and, and yeah. go off topic and just learn to love it. So the um, next but anyway, section it gets into yeah. the specialized um, fixers, um, which are broken down into various categories. You have salesmen, money bags, leeches, go-betweens, mobsters. And um, then it gets into the secondary uh, roles. So here you get the meat of the various types of fixers. And 
I think the only other splat book that kind of did this was uh, Live and Direct, right? Where it took a lot of different roles or sub-roles of that particular character class and split them off. I think yeah. Wild Side is probably the only one that did it. It did a very thorough job of it. I mean, Primitive Screwheads, they tried to include a lot of the weird sub-roles and stuff like that, but it wasn't... They didn't do it in a... As much as I love that book, and hell, two episodes ago, that's all we talked about. Uh, it didn't do that. It didn't do the expanded roles in a very coherent method, mostly because the expanded roles uh, prior to Wildside weren't very coherent themselves. Wildside makes a it makes a compelling argument for all of these extra roles. Yep. Yeah, so they're pretty much all based off of um, the fixer role, and then you have what's called the extended family, which actually has new roles that you can play. Um, one popular yeah. one I've seen is the Prowler. Right, so it's kind of a anti solo. Well, they they for, before this book was written, everybody confused fixers with thieves. Like it was this weird thing that, that I'd have to argue with people about constantly. Um, like fixers are not thieves, and finally this book came out and said fixers are not thieves. Mm. Uh, they hire other people to do that shit for them. And they they added Prowler because Prowlers are thieves. Yep. Um, so they I won that argument. Introduced some new special uh, special abilities with each of the classes, so you definitely want to check those out. Uh, you also have Con Man, right? Um, so if you ever want to be a Con Man, now you have a role. Uh, scavenger, which is basically kind of a, a, a specific type of, not really a. It, it's like Prowler, and that it's it's things that people threw under the fixer heading because they didn't know where else to put it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not really a fixer. It's it's what it says it is. It's a salvage artist. Yeah, and it's not like the the scavs in twenty seventy seven. They just gar grab any type of garbage, any type of uh, throwing Eat away people material. and shit like that. Yeah, they're not the scabs. I fucking hate those things. Um, you could be, right? So there is there is a subculture of that, but scavengers, I think, are just they'll take whatever, right? Um, right. I'm sure there's probably sub roles within that one role. Um, the other debut is the Street Punk, which was also in Solo Fortune, kind of. Um, yeah, let's play a gang member. Yeah. Or, you know, just your average thug, which was something that was sorely missing. Like, there, there wasn't anything to cover that, really, um, originally, because you only had the choice between the nine roles, and they're not really solos, they're not really fixers, they're kind of this weird mix of the two. Some people tried to list them as nomads, but I'm like, well, they're not going anywhere. 
yep. the family special ability works for them, which is why that's kind of what they get. But yeah, yeah. And then you have dancer prostitute, which I think in the main book they tried to get into, um, and they kind of fleshed it out a little more. Specifically, I think with yeah. the vamp skill. Um, and again, I still don't understand Some... what <laughs> vamp. Well, it's to does. differentiate them between rocker boy, which is what everybody was trying to make prostitutes out to be in a. But before Wildside is well, they're just a subset of Rocker Boy. I'm like, no, they're really not. Yeah, they perform, but it's not for the same reasons. <laughs> like they're not trying to inspire anyone to do anything other than give them money. Yep. Uh, and have a good time. I mean, if it's a, if it's a if it's a good prostitute or a good dancer or a good stage performer, or whatever, they're just they're there to please the audience. Yeah. So I don't know if you've played a lot as a character, um, but what sub role do you think you like the most? Uh, sub role, yeah. uh, prowler. I, I love the prowler sub role. Um, I've always been a fan of like heist movies and stuff like that, and uh, so prowler let me let me do that i didn't ever get really get to play one until interlock unlimited uh but i ran them quite a bit right yeah the fixer character i had was a sniffer um just because i wanted that generic ability to get whatever right um i'm just the guy who finds things uh and I've had players play mostly black marketeers. Uh, in the yeah, various, there was various roles for that. In the early days, uh, my second character was a well. He was at the time he was a straight fixture because Wildside hadn't come out, but he was an arms dealer. He he sold on the black market, and that's that was his specialty. And then he had a secondary specialty of. Uh, as as like a talent broker um yeah so i mean second character ever played in cyberpunk my that's my love for fixers is deep um this moves us on to chapter three or sorry chapter two name of the game which kind of breaks down into Again, a little more emphasis on what a fixer is, why they do what they do, um, some key points that every fixer should know. Uh, and the other section, which I think really gets into the game mechanics, is uh, forming a business, right? And <clears throat> how. So it breaks down how a fixer makes his money. Um, yeah. How many hours he needs to dedicate, etc. So as a fixer grows in level, he really should start getting subordinates. So they say at like level seven, level six, you really, as a fixer, you should start not being, you know, a single island because like a level 10. Yeah, fixer, at that point, 
you've got power, you've got influence. You're not you're not going to be running the streets doing shit. Um, if you show up, it usually means something's wrong, or you've got an offer that can't be refused. Yeah. Uh, and it, it again, it, it it's not required to use these rules, but for players who want like actual like rules for these situations, I mean, I love this shit. Uh, being able to, you know, sit down and figure out, okay, well, I'm this level of fixer. Uh, if I'm starting a character out at this level, I should have this much influence. I should have these many people under my belt uh, running the streets for me. Um, and then, of course, you can supplement that with you know, whatever contacts you personally make and hire in, in the course of play. But it, it gives you a basis to start out with. It isn't just the GM hand-waving some bullshit. Um, yeah. That's that's about the best thing I can say about that. Yeah, and also in this section, when it gets into the business, it really drives home what a level 10 character is, or even what a level 9 character in your special ability character is um you know again you had that problem when there wasn't any rules really restricting how high you know the starting character could do so of course you know naive gms back in the day and naive i wouldn't say they're always naive players but players who are didn't know the rules are like, yeah, of course I'm going to do a 10 special ability because it gives me the max money. Um, yeah, um, gives me the max bonus to my rolls and all that. However, I think nah. in various supplements and even in the main book, it really, it didn't hit home exactly what a 10 is. Yeah. You had a one sentence state statement, but when you look at these rules, you can see, oh crap, this I have to work was it ten ten plus two squared, I think is it? So you have to work hundred and forty four hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> to be a level Some of 10 the fix it's a little more painful than than the rest. Right, so um, it, it kind of stresses like if you want to be able to make money at that level, the, the salary that you're getting, which is like I don't know, ten thousand EB a month, that you have to put in 144 hours a week. And granted, the the system in here breaks it down into how you hire subordinates to kind of take on some of the work. You give them a kickback, and eventually you even out with your. Um, with the money and how to make money. <clears throat> but it, it's definitely a great system um, for building a, a business, really, in cyberpunk. Because yeah. you can even take these rules and apply them to techie, right? So Yeah, or any any character. I mean, any character who's going to like go into business for himself, these rules will, will work for. Yep. Um, so yeah, you can just replace street deal and 
Well, solo, yeah. If you start having a business of like, you know, bodyguard or paid assassin or paid muscle, yeah, you would have your subordinates. And I mean, if you're going to play the A team, you're going to have somebody making the calls for you. Um, Keep in mind. Hell, Hannibal wasn't a solo, Hannibal was a fixer. Uh, if you do use these rules and the player wants to start owning their own business, leadership is key um, in this system because the other thing that fine, you build your little empire, but there is always the possibility of treachery. So you want to also have some uh, leadership points and skills if you plan on doing that. So if your players yeah. are building their little empire and have no leadership, yeah, there there's going to be some interesting uh, interesting side quests that the referee should be uh, creating for them. Uh, Things definitely will happen. Yeah. And then this chapter wraps up with interactions between other roles uh, and why a fixer would interact with these roles. So, and, oops, that wasn't the last part. The last part was uh, getting into or making a fixer campaign and how you would do that. So there's two pages of goodness there for any GM. Yeah, important pages, too. Um, <clears throat> I mean, a fixer is one of those characters that if he's he can play, a, you can have a background fixer, uh, and that works. Um but they work best when they're kind of like the driving force as they're the ones who are making the deals. They're the ones who uh, really are the ones who are able to push to the next stage of whatever's happening. Yeah. So again, all goodness here. It, for me, it is definitely one of the, well, it's the second book we're reviewing, so yeah, it's definitely one of the greater books here. Um, chapter three goes into tools of the trade. <clears throat> so this actually breaks it down um, into a bunch of different things. Uh, mostly it's centered around the cash and, and what Cyberpunk 2020 cash is, but it first starts off with... Uh, how to influence people and make people do what you want. Uh, so basically it breaks or, or expands the rules for empathy and cool skills uh, and how to work with them. So the concept is that all these <clears throat> um, empathy skills that you're doing, you know, interrogation, intimidation, seduction, I would even go so far as social and uh, interview, authority, charismatic leadership. What's the difficulty set, right? So these rules make it very simplistic in that you're just taking your cool stat, times it by two, two and a half of the person you're trying to do or be influential on. And it's a straight up, well, it's not necessarily a straight up rule. There's a table with a bunch of modifiers. Uh, which you should yeah use. but it gives you those modifiers that you need as opposed to abstracting them yeah and i think the the basic book really didn't get into 
all of that interpersonal skills, right? They have them. They're great to have. But what are the rules behind it? It's Yes, it's an arbitrary number that a GM can make up on the fly. But a player will also argue, well, what do you mean it's, you know, very difficult for this guy? And as a GM, you have to explain why it is versus, well, this character has this cool, so this is your difficulty. Yeah. Because I know some, and that's not all groups, right? There are some groups that will always debate with a GM on why. Always. why the numbers are the numbers um because those players are usually rule lawyers and they've read the rules and know the rules and the expectation is you're going to follow those rules as a gm yeah not always um nothing can piss off a, a rule a rules lawyer than uh going off script <laughs> they hate that shit um but yeah that's that's the purview of the gm you don't like it find a different table yep um then again it goes back into the bartending rules again so it rehashes those and and the percentage differences on how you can earn uh, or how things cost and how much you can get for things um, when bartering with fixers. <clears throat> Which then leads into the whole cash economy, credits, what are cred chi- or cred chips, i.e. chop, um, and basically gives a lot of fluff um, to the whole economics of the world so yeah it really breaks them down like into all the different types of uh transactions they that you can that you can make all the currencies uh exchange rates like it's it's useful useful stuff yeah (laughs) especially if you have characters who like move from one country to another a lot um is very helpful there too yeah, I mean, this section around the money and cred chips and et cetera uh, is lengthy <laughs> for such a minor thing. Well, it's not really a minor thing, but in gameplay, it often goes to the side of, okay, I just have cash, right? Um, but it gets into pretty heavy heavy understanding of how money works in uh, in cyberpunk um yeah which is always good to have when to have that kind of background and also improves the immersion right of well i mean it's like we've talked about several times now like people who come to this game from from other other systems other games it's sometimes hard to grasp and money and you know how you get paid and all that that's that's one of those things that it's it's different in cyberpunk yeah um it's a much more realistic and honestly dirt fucking poor uh 
themed game. Yep. There's not a lot of hoarding to be done. At least at low level. Yep. And then after the economy, um, it goes into sin. And what sin is, is the state identification number. I.e. your identity. Yeah, basically your uh, driver's license, your social security card, your birth certificate, all that rolled into one. Your gun license, your... Uh, yeah. Your right Any to license property. the state issues, uh, it gets added to your sin. Um, get medical weed, there you go. Although, I would assume marijuana would... The, nah, that's a whole other story right there. We're going to avoid that one right now. <laughs> um. And the, the other thing around a sin versus a sinless person. So these rules get into what that really means. So are you a zero or are you uh, sinned? And it and, breaks down the, the benefits and cons for, for both. Yep. It also has the costs around getting a, a, a false identity, getting a whole different secret identity, um, how to zero yourself out, which basically means getting rid of your sin and all the information and data associated with you. Killing your paper trail. <clears throat> yeah. And the other thing I liked in here was uh, it also had equipment, right? So it gave you the identity equipment, whether it's fake fingerprints, um, nanite fingerprints, uh same with eyes, how to change your DNA. So, again, if you are a malevolent uh, referee who tries to, okay, these guys attacked this facility, well, what DNA did they leave behind? What fingerprints did they leave behind? What was on the camera, etc.? Um, this is a great resource to kind of push your players into buying additional equipment that they might not have thought of um, if they want to avoid detection. Yeah. Because a lot of players... It's, uh, it, it's a great way to get them to spend money when they do start hoarding, hoarding it. Yeah. Uh, a good fake ID, that that is not cheap. Um, getting rid of, you know, all vestiges of your past, all your electronic trail, that's that's not cheap. Um, and it shouldn't be. Like, these things are expensive in real life. You, sure, you can get a cheap fake ID from, you know, Stewie down the block uh, if you want, if you don't mind, you know, having a picture of, like, a uh, 50-year-old Guatemalan dude for your, you know... Uh, 20 year old Chinese guy like I mean sure you can make it work uh, it'll get you into a bar maybe but that's about it yeah also in this section you'll actually see a, a side note uh, around bolt holes and safe houses uh, which I think a lot of players just don't think about they really having. don't and a lot of, and that's the one thing that I try to like 
as a player, as a cyberpunk player, I always think about things like that. Do I need a safe house? Do I want a safe house? What do I want, you know, do I want to make sure that I'm sinless or have an alternate identity? Um, this is, like it's weird, but with cyberpunk, really with any role-playing game, but particularly with cyberpunk, the more bookkeeping you do for your character, I think the the better your play experience is going to be. Right. Um, if you if you have a list of places around the city where you've got just little hidey holes, maybe just some gear stashed, a uh, place to sleep if you need to, um, a place to go when you're on the run, these things can do nothing but help your character. And so many people don't take advantage of that. Hell, the Nomad I played, I had a list of, uh, like secret stashes where he kept vehicle, uh, clothing, weapons, food. Like I had a, like a list of those in almost every state. Um, in the in the southwestern states, there were like three or four stashes to each of them. Like because that's where he traveled the most. But yeah, the bookkeeping is only going to help your your character. It's only going to help you like more fully realize and idealize your character. Yep. Yeah, and especially with like, and again, depends on the campaign you do. If you're playing in like an edge runner who's doing extractions, assassinations, and various crimes. Um, Johnny Law should always be one step behind them. And not only that, but the, the corporations that they attack. So to avoid any type of detection or retribution from those corps or, or Johnny Law, as a character, you should always think about that. And I think it's one problem with a lot of role-playing games is you generate these murder hobos. Um, who don't get any consequences. Um, and I think that's what separates Cyberpunk a little more than the others, is there should be consequences. And there's there's a lot more evil in the world, as it were. Yeah. And not only that, but just because you're a 20th level wizard doesn't isn't going to stop a bullet from possibly killing you from a, a level 1. Yeah, that's that's the that's the ultimate beauty of the interlock rules system is I don't care how how tough of a dude you are, you could be you know Genghis Khan on steroids, but a 12-year-old with a zip gun can still take you out with one shot. Um that's that's the beauty of cyberpunk. That's it creates drama that very few other role-playing games even attempt to try. Yep. <clears throat> so that kind of ends chapter three. Um, so it's all about economy and sins and identities. Um, a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, definitely a must to check out and recommend to players. Uh, and right before chapter four, I'm just looking at the book on page 66. I think the artist who drew that um, cityscape probably was living in, I want to say, freaking uh, Seattle. 
Uh, I mean, it's definitely a West Coast city right there. Yeah. I mean, dude's wearing shorts. It's not New York. Most definitely not. Um, might be Vegas. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, it's one of the better images in the book. And True. Uh, the only problem with it, really, is like all the images in the book, um, and all the sidebars, it's it's really dark. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the original art or whatever filter was put on it for printing, but again, it, it it's it's not the easiest thing to look at. Uh, it's not the easiest thing on the eyes as a comfort level. Like the art is gorgeous. Um, it's just very dark yep so as in color wise not as in subject matter subject matter it's just fine yeah there's other <laughs> darker images. yeah it's actually one of the tamer books as far as uh, <coughs> art subject matter goes yep um so chapter four is the street uh it kind of goes into what a strip is in a city uh like how active and what you can expect on uh, uh, one city street within any city that you're going to have. I mean, it's where the, it's where the kids go to cruise. Yep. So like and it's New, where the deals get made. New York, it would be like Times Square. Um, but when I was living in Missouri, there was. There was all there was er, when I was in Kansas City in Kansas City proper, there were uh, two. There was Troost and Paseo. Those were the those were the 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 crime strips. But then out in the suburbs, uh, in Independence, there was Nolan Road, and Nolan Road is where all where everybody went to cruise and and drive their nice cars and like, try and pick up chicks. Like I spent many. Many, many a uh, Friday night on Nolan Road. Yep. And it kind of breaks it down into what a strip is, what you can find there, all the various, like Derek says, people are just there, so that means there's going to be vendors of all sorts. You're going to find yep. side alleys to various events. <clears throat> um, and it just talks about what the strip is and what you can expect there and then it also provides in some of the laws which kind of gives you some leanings into what you can find on the strip like blood sport pit fighting um yeah i mean the strip is always going to be the city's the city's hub it's not going to necessarily be the black market but it will be the city's hub for the counterculture like cuz everybody goes there everybody from all the different cliques and all the different um, backgrounds, they all meet here and it, it's it's a shared neutral ground. And in almost every city, that neutral ground is is respected. When somebody, when something breaks off on the strip, it's a big deal. It gets everybody's attention. Yeah, and the next few paragraphs are basically just getting into city life, what the strip is, what a city should be, how you should portray a city. Um, the various sidebars have like news items, uh, television shows, 
advertisements. Beautiful, beautiful flavor text. Yep. Um, so yeah, I tried to get into the background of of a city world. And I, again, <clears throat> each section has little tidbits you want to bring in. Uh, one particular uh, section is called Life on the Farm, which goes into drugs and drug dealing. Um, a few new drugs are presented, but it also gives you the uh, a purity table for drugs um, and how how drug deals basically would work for a fixer and, and any character. It's uh, it becomes readily apparent that um, while Mike Pondsmith had the final say with what was published, he did not write this section. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike Pondsmith's um, anti-drug views were pretty, pretty ham-fisted with uh, 2020 and this this tries to even and smooth that out a little bit and bring a little bit of like I'm not going to say reality back to it because the prices are still ridiculous but um, it does try to alleviate some of that heavy handedness Again, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, so I think, oh, who is it? Ocelot? Was it Ocelot who came up with a better rule? Ocelot's system? drug rules yeah. on mockeries? Yeah, that I always turn to because to me it was a little more realistic in costs um, as well as effects. Yeah. Um, Ocelot's drug rules, which uh, I mean, it was the basis for the Interlock Unlimited drug rules. It was really, it's really the basis for anybody's who wants to have a more realistic, more grounded uh, drug experience, good or bad, in their game. It's, it's creating drugs. Uh, actually dealing with drugs and addiction like it's 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 one of the better uh more revered articles in among cyberpunk webmasters yep it in fact is probably ocelots like there was a lot of fantastic work on mockery's site um but the drug rules i think were probably number one Um, and again, <clears throat> the rest of this chapter is getting into uh, other technologies uh, and the world. It also goes at, and finally wraps up with what is a fixer? How does a fixer move from country to country because of the multi-nature, right? Um, <clears throat> and when you're shifting your skills, you know, they... they he presents or the authors give how those skills would change from for for difficulty right so if you're 
an England as an American, you're in England or Australia, etc. You kind of know the culture, but if you go to like you know, yeah, uh, Japan or Zulu as what's put in this chart, it's completely alien. So the difficulty is going to be increased uh, when you're trying to do things now. As a movie, yeah, and shaker, it throws in rules for culture shock, and that yeah. stuff is important. So, if you are running a game that's multinational, i.e., going to many of the different places of the world, which I've had campaigns like that, um, high profile, oh, uh, yeah, uh, special ops teams who travel the world and do what they need to do. So, I've had to use these rules, and they are good. <laughs> Uh, to give that flavor and that challenge to your players. And that section kind of wraps up that chapter of chapter four. And finally, we're into chapter five, which the, is the appendices. Um, again, giving more background stuff and, and flavor to your campaign. Uh, the biggest section is around the various religions that are within uh, the United States in 2020, as well as political parties in the 2020s, which is not just the two we normally have in the United States, but actually broken up into multiple ones, <coughs> some with greater influence than others. Um, it takes a much broader look than just the surface, but it's it's kind of weird to me that this stuff was covered in this book and not Home of the Free. Yeah, uh, was this it, it feels like this was like leftover material from Home of the Free. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, but. The other thing is, so after the religions, it gives you, and a few of the the various cyberpunk books have this, which was basically an inspiration reference materials, um, where the authors present movies, media, TV shows, novels, and comics that you should go off and read. Now, granted, <laughs> the material is yeah. 20 plus years old, but... Um, some of these, uh, some of the inspiration definitely are classics, which even if you watch it today, you, you definitely wouldn't get bored or, or too confused over why the people are acting the way they are. Um, cause I know some older movies do not age well, but I think most no. of these would. But uh, I mean, a classic's always going to be a classic. Um, some of the some of the movies, some of the stuff they pick is inspirations. Like they list why they picked it, uh, but it's still kind of a weird choice. I mean, like they list they list Deep Space Nine uh, for the just because of the character Quark, or uh, they list Wall Street. Um, for factors when Wall Street is much more of a corporate movie, I think. Yeah. Um, 
But others, I mean, are, are just obvious choices. Casablanca, Goodfellas, uh, the Godfather series. I mean, you you can't watch. You can't. It's almost impossible to hear the hear the word fixer and not think of Tony Montana from Scarface. Yep. Well, I like it that they listed the sneakers, which to me, I always, even before this book came out, when I saw this, I was like, that is such a cyberpunk campaign. Dude, Sneakers is one of the most underrated cyberpunk movies ever made. That movie, from start to finish, <coughs> is pure win, and I really think it's got some of the finest performer performances by its actors. Um, Sidney Poitier in that movie is hilarious. It's also a very, very early appearance of, uh, oh, Christ, uh, John Malkovich. Sorry, brain fart. Yep. Also in this section, uh, there's a list of new uh, slang that you use at the table. I think the biggest one that I constantly use is gato. Uh, yeah. But there's other good ones like Gaijin, using that, Geary, Gomi I use a lot. Um, Most of the foreign words are, are pretty good stuff. Uh, yeah. The there's a lot of, there's a lot of silly words like gonk. I mean, that just enters. That's just regular slang to me. Um, I like brain potato. I, I like that. I've always liked that. Yeah. Twenty twenty hindsight's a little too meta for me. Um. And then it moves in back into the silly, like kleptoid, metalhead. Another uh, good one is Vidiot. Yeah, Vidiot's good. I'll, okay, my favorite bit of slang in here is Rimbo, which is supposed to be a, a cross between Rambo and Bimbo. And <laughs> for some reason, when I first read that, I... I read that at the at the same time that I first that I smoked weed for the very first time, and I started laughing so hard that like I couldn't get words out of my mouth to explain to my friends why I was laughing. Looking back, it's it's that's that's kind of stupid and cringeworthy, but at the time, I thought that was the funniest combination I'd ever heard. And to wrap up the book, it basically uh, has some flavor charts to help improve the immersion of your game. Um, I love the atmosphere tables. I've used them many times. Um, they they suggest things that you might not have thought about, and it's it, that can happen a lot when you're running a game and trying to describe a scene. You sometimes, you know, you don't think about the little things. You don't, you don't think about things like, you know, random noise coming from an apartment. Somebody's left their TV on or, 
you know, condoms on the ground and, and, and just various trash. Uh, yeah, things that like you might picture in your head, but your players aren't getting until you start describing it better. And it just helps you remember some of those elements. Yep. Yeah, there's actually a great um, generic uh, resource on DriveThruRPG. Um, I bought it. I just don't remember what it was called. Crap. Basically, it's a book full of these types of charts. Like... Uh, how a building appears. What's what's the architecture of the building? You know what the building's used for. Uh, goes into various characters. How do you describe a character? What they look like? And it's all just charts. There's no like rules or anything. It's just full of whatever chart you might need. Augmented realities. Um. It's pay what you want, um, but it, the book is just pack full of cyberpunk um, random charts. Any chart you can think of, I will. that supplement has it. And I know this is a review of the wild, wild side, but um, just because. I mean, heck, if here. it's a good if it's a good product, we can. I will. I'm all about promoting people's good works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that sounds awesome. I need to pick that up. You said it was called augmented reality. Yeah. And drive through RPG. And again, it's pay what you want. All right. So yeah. if, as a, if you're a fan of an artist or author, you should always send them money no matter what. Um, because they might do it for free for themselves, but giving them money sh really shows you how much you appreciate their work, especially in this day. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as someone who has given all my stuff away free, uh, yeah. Help people out when you can, yeah. um, show them your appreciation. So, that kind of wraps up uh, Wildside. Um, like I said, you know, to me, this book, every section I've used uh, in various games and any campaigns I, I use is one of those ones that <clears throat> um, I think, as a player, you definitely, is one of the, the books you should have in your uh, your library next to the main book yeah it's like i said it's it's top five for sure um and as far as the character specific it's number one yep it uh you you cannot go wrong by having this in your library even if you don't play cyberpunk there are rules in here that will help you uh with any game you do run even even system of verse games uh, like there's stuff in here that'll help you if you play Dungeons and Dragons, um, or, you know, anything really. Yeah. And, and for it's... me, you know, Benjamin Wright and, um, Mike Roeder, I think 
really really did a fantastic job um yeah improving cyberpunk in general with this as well as other uh, material that they've produced i i don't know mike but i've been friends with benjamin for several years now and the dude's awesome he's he's a great guy he uh for a long time, he was one of the backbones of RTG. I, I, I'm not really sure of his <coughs> involvement with him now. Um, but I know that like his work has always been solid. And this is probably my favorite example of it. Yep. Yeah, so you heard it from here from us. Buy this book. It's a must-have. Buy the book. You can get it. Um, if you can, don't buy the first edition. Uh, if you're buying like uh, a hard copy, um, the binding of the book wasn't all that great. I know I went through uh, my first copy, like fell apart on me. Um, just '90s publishing. Yes. Yeah. The two uh, books that the second printing was much better. Yeah, for me. The... And I believe that Drive-Thru RPG has a copy, and they'll just print on demand. And I'm sure that copy is. Well, we'll, you know, you'll get to choose how that's printed out. Yeah, and with Drive-Thru RPG, you can get a hard copy from them, but you can also get a hard copy from uh, our Talsorian as well. Um, yeah. Or demand it of your uh, local uh, game store. Right? To, uh, granted, they might not want to, because <laughs> they're like, why do you want to buy a book from 30 years ago? Well, I mean, because it's better than anything being written today. That's why. Exactly. Um, Cyberpunk 2020, baby. But yeah, I still have my uh, Wild Side still intact. Binding is not too bad. There was one page that wasn't set right. So it's kind of like this frayed half an inch of paper at the bottom of my, my book that I probably should have cut out all years ago. Um, but I still have it as one unit. However, my listen-up primitive head, that thing fell apart as well as my pack rim. My, uh, my wild side, the problem with was, was the glue and the binding. That just like kind of disintegrated on me. Now, that's probably because I left it in the hot car. But I'll <laughs> tell you what books stood the test of time better than anything else, and that, that was Chrome 1. Holy crap, is that the most abused book in my library? And it still holds up. It's still got all the pages. The plastic on the cover, like the that gives it that nice shiny sheen, yeah. like that started to peel off. It's so old and so well used. But the book is still like perfectly legible. Like that book is a trooper. Yeah. That and my original uh first edition of twenty twenty. I actually got the second edition of 2020, but that book is... I've got like test five copies of that fucking book. Do you have a I, I originally wanted to get like four more copies, so when I when I ran games out of my game room and had the big table, I was going to put one copy of the uh, core Cyberpunk book in each of the cubbies, but that didn't work out. The, the books got... Um, when 2077 was 
first announced, suddenly all the cyberpunk books prices just skyrocketed. And that's that was kind of ridiculous because Altar Storian still sold a good chunk of them as physical copies. Not all of them. Um, it took them probably a year or two to get almost all of them back up to speed to, to be released. Yeah, but it used to be you could, before that, you could find them on eBay at like discount prices. Yeah. Like get them for like eight bucks a piece for the core rule book. Um, and then after the game was announced, they went up to like $40, $50 a piece for the core. And just like, what the hell are you people thinking? Yeah. Th- those who are collectors out there, um, just keep in mind, unless you want, are like the obsessed collector that needs to have something that was printed back in the 90s, you're going to pay through the nose for. Um, if you're just looking for a hard copy of most of these books, um, you can get them directly from Altar Sorian. I think the only... I mean, my advice would be to just get them from Artel Sorian. Um, I've got first editions. Like I said, it's, it's fallen apart. Uh, the first, the first first edition I had fell apart. The second one is doing okay. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't use it much because I've got PDFs now. Yeah. Uh, which thankfully lets me keep my books safe and secure for the most part. Uh, but yeah, my advice is just, just get it straight from the publisher. Or if you don't want to do that, if you say you want it printed in a specific way, get it from Drive Through RPG. Uh, don't don't go to eBay and pay those prices. Don't don't give those people money. Yeah, there, there's only two products that I think for, are from Artalsorian that you would have to spend the extra money. That is um, Land of the Free. I don't believe. Yeah, you want the box set of that. Yeah, you want all the goodies that come with it, yeah. like business and cards and Night City. I think because the map isn't included. Well, you can now get the map for free uh, from the Artel Sorian website and from their store on Drive-Thru RPG. You can just get it for free. Yep. Uh, I used to have it on my site before it was uh, before Artel Sorian released it. I didn't want to compete with them, so I'm pretty sure I took it down. But uh, yeah, it's it's out. The map is out there, and and you can get it as a print-on-demand. Trying to find an original copy of Night City with the map. You talk about breaking your bank. That went for money even before the announcement. Yeah, that was like one of the more sought-after items. That and the miniatures sets. Yeah, and <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, and again, you know, me and Wisdom are definitely people who advocate Talsorian store buying from them. Because if you give them money, they will keep producing. So just keep Especially if you show support for twenty twenty. Right now all their focus is on red and you know, I still I still hold out hopes that twenty twenty itself um gets supported in some way or even if it's just keeping those books alive. Yep. Um and if you're looking for any additional books you know, the, the 2020 was licensed by various companies. So a lot of those Ionis, companies, Ionis, um, and, uh, well. Dream Pod 9? Yeah. I guess that is Ionis. 
and then the other one crap. is uh, Atlas. Atlas, Atlas yes. Games. And Atlas is more... Dirty. Atlas put out the better stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, I, I liked what Ionis did, but uh, Atlas... Atlas was straightforward, like, we're just putting out Cyberpunk 2020 stuff, and Ionis did a bunch of, like, weird genre mixing. Yeah. So, for, for me, Ionis had interesting supplementary rules, specifically around uh, 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 cyberpsychosis. The breaking down of that was, I liked. Uh, Dark Metropolis is a great... If you're going to buy something from Ionis, Dark Metropolis is what you want. Or And Grimm's Dark Fairy Tale is also a good one. Yeah. And then they had a bunch of adventures similar to Atlas. So Atlas was strictly published adventures. Uh, most of them you can still get through drive through RPG, both for Ionis, who is now DreamPod 9, uh, and Atlas. You can't get them all. Uh, I don't know if they're just taking their time doing the scans to get them into PDF. Uh, but Hell, again, they might have lost the original files. It's in, you never know. Well, I still have my green wars if they want to come to my house and make copies of it because I'm not going to let it out of my site <laughs> or pay for, yeah, it, green for me to take a trip to wherever their home office is and uh, be guard on top of that thing because... That's one, uh, that is one of the, and again, I don't know for our book reviews, whether we'll go into all of the various sub books around that. Cause <clears throat> for our book reviews, we're going to try to do it every other episode and do a breakdown of books, um, and give you guys our opinions and cool little features that we use and how we've used them, uh, making them home rules, rules as well. We are slowly but surely making our way through the libraries. Uh, and there's... People underestimate how many books were produced for Cyberpunk 2020 and its, and its various offshoots. Because, you know, I'm still going to include Cyber Generation and, and ugh, V3, uh, Cyberpunk Red, any of the stuff produced for 2077, the original 2013, the Ionis stuff... Um, the tie-ins or and crossovers like the the paranoia crossover, Alice through the mirror shades. I mean, all this stuff people forget about. Yep. So I think that's kind of it for our episode, or for this episode at least. Yeah. Um, um we have covered Wildside pretty thoroughly, I believe. Yep. Uh, next episode we're still working on. Um, we might have a special guest for that one. Uh, and if the special guest does come through, we're going to do an AMA of uh, Interlock Unlimited. Unlimited and uh, and all the goodies on your site. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so it all depends on, you know, arranging our our guests and and working it out but those are a couple of the different shows that we're gonna have planned um yeah, no matter what in the near future there will be an ask me anything about interlock unlimited hopefully we can do it with the special guest in mind but it's gonna happen yep. um so please think about any questions you might want to ask any uh any mysteries of interlock unlimited that you need unlocked for you Yep. 
And um, you can ping us on our sites, have our emails. So you can ping us through emails. Uh, Wisdom he has various sa- Facebook uh, places uh, he hangs uh, out. You can, yeah, Wisdom three Wisdom zero zero zero, and uh, that's add Gmail to that at the end, and that's my email. Uh, you can find me, like you said, on Facebook, uh, on on uh, Discord. Uh, not much, but I'm there. Um, Hit me an email if you didn't want to write that down. You can go to the site, Data Fortress 2020. Uh, that email is plastered all over the page. Um, yeah, I look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, and you Ask me do- anything about anything, really, because I just like talking about Cyberpunk. And again, you can reach me at cybersmiley at cybersmiley.net. Um, that email is also on my site, which is cybersmiley.net. Uh, I'm also on Discord, various Discord servers, uh, both uh, cyberpunk ones and actual gameplay. Uh, I visit those sites a lot. Don't really play in the games there, but just like to uh, read what's going on in the community. Uh, also, I am part of the two red Reddit threads, which is Cyberpunk 2020 and Cyberpunk Red. So you can also catch me there as well. Uh, just the Cyber Smiley. The misspelled version of Cyber Smiley. Just keep that in mind. Because <laughs> <clears throat> there is no the E one with in the e. me. Uh, but yeah, and we'd like to thank our host, um, Rob Mulgan and Cyber, Cyber Nation Uncensored. Um, give him some love Uh, check out his site at cybernationuncensored.com he has the switch channel which you're listening to now he also has youtube channel where you can catch up on past episodes of ours as well as other shows Um, capricious nature who is one of our big fans um, who visits us all the time he has actually quite a few games going on on the twitch Um, he runs an amazingly awesome uh, nomad game Check yep. that out. He also does a non-cyberpunk, which is uh, the Fallout game he does. Um, <clears throat> and Rob also has a few games that he's running. Uh, one that I like is on Thursday night. I forget what the group's called, but it's pretty hilarious. Um, you definitely want to check some of those live game sessions out. Um, it's all good stuff. You definitely... We'll get some inspiration into running your games if you do go and watch some of these. Um, yeah, so I guess that's about it. So uh, we'll catch you guys in uh, two weeks. Have a great one. Yep, be safe, people. Uh, see you soon.